Hello and welcome to our first ever Solving History podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Gemma. In this new podcast, we, much like the DuckTales crew, will be attempting to solve a mystery and rewrite history. Well, kind of. What we'll actually be doing is taking an event, a person or an unsolved crime from history and presenting the evidence from popular theories and asking our co-host and you what you think happened. Kicking us off, we have the case of the princes in the tower, whose disappearance has remained one of the most intriguing mysteries of all time. So as I present the players, the suspects and theories, here are the questions I want you to think about. First, what happened to the princes? And second, if they were killed, by who and why? Okay, so who were the princes in the tower? The princes in the tower, and by tower I mean Tower of London, were 12-year-old King Edward V of England and his younger brother, 9-year-old Richard of Shrewsbury, Duke of York. They were the sons of Edward IV and Queen Elizabeth Woodville. So how did they end up in the tower? On the 9th of April 1483, King Edward IV, who'd been ill for around three weeks, died, making his young son Edward king. Edward was at Ludlow Castle, which was the traditional home of the Prince of Wales when he learned of his father's death, and set off for London on the 29th of April, accompanied by his uncle, Anthony Woodville, 2nd Earl Rivers, and Sir Richard Grey. At the same time, the late King's brother, Richard, the Duke of Gloucester, was making his way to London to take up his role as Lord Protector to the young King. Uncle and nephew met at Stony Stratford, where Richard had Edward's retinue arrested and sent to Pontefract Castle. Upon hearing the news, Elizabeth Woodville took her other son, Richard, Duke of York, and her daughters into sanctuary at Westminster Abbey on the 31st of April. Edward V and Richard arrived in London and Edward was taken to the Tower of London. But this wasn't unusual as it was the traditional residence for monarchs prior to their coronation. Plans for Edward's coronation continued, but it was postponed from the 4th of May to the 25th of June. Then sometime around the 13th of June, Edward's personal servants were dismissed and not allowed access to him and were instead replaced with men loyal to Richard. Okay, two questions. First, what sanctuary? And second, if Richard was in sanctuary with his mum and his sisters, how did he then end up in the tower with his brother? Okay, so sanctuary, because religious houses, in the case of Elizabeth Woodville, Westminster Abbey, were sacred spaces, it was considered, quote, inappropriate in the extreme to carry weapons into the church or to arrest someone or to exercise force within the church. And this meant churches could offer immunity from justice to traitors, felons and debtors and important political figures within its wall. As such, Elizabeth and her children were beyond Richard's grasp. As for how Richard ended up in the tower, the Archbishop of Canterbury had a discussion with Elizabeth and was persuaded to hand Richard over to his uncle. Now, there are also some suggestions that Richard surrounded the abbey with troops. And as he had a history of breaking sanctuary laws, she did so to protect her other children. Whatever the case, young Richard joined his brother in the Tower of London on the 16th of June. And I will apologise, everybody in this story is named Richard, Edward or Elizabeth. It's very confusing. So two brothers are reunited. What then happens? Edward's coronation was indefinitely postponed. And on Saturday, the 22nd of June, Dr. Ralph Shah, brother of the Lord Mayor of London, preached a sermon at St Paul's Cross claiming Richard to be the only legitimate heir to the House of York because Edward V was illegitimate. 
The following day, rumours began to circulate around London that Edward IV's marriage to Elizabeth was invalid due to, quote, an existing pre-contract between the King and Lady Eleanor Butler. On the 24th of June, Henry Stafford, the second Duke of Buckingham, addressed the Lord Mayor and leading citizens at the Guildhall, where he pressed the case of the pre-contract. And the Assembly of Nobles declared Edward IV's marriage to Elizabeth invalid and all of their children illegitimate. As such, Edward V was no longer king. Now, England could not be without a king. So two days later, on the 26th of June, Kingham and a great procession of nobles rode to Baynard's castle and petitioned Richard, the, Richard to take the throne. Initially, he refused, but, quote, after words from Buckingham, he agreed to become king. Richard then travelled to Westminster Hall, where he took the sovereign's oath before returning to Baynard Castle as King Richard III. On the 6th of July, 1483, he and his wife Anne were crowned in Westminster Abbey by the Archbishop of Canterbury. The following year, an Act of Parliament known as Titulus Regius stated that Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville's marriage was invalid because of Edward's pre-contract with Lady Eleanor Butler. I need to remember this detail so it might prove important later on. Okay, so what happens next? This is where the real mystery begins. The boys didn't immediately disappear. There were accounts of them playing in the tower grounds and even one account of them practicing archery. However, the Italian friar, Dominic Mancini, wrote that, quote, after Richard III seized the throne, the brothers were taken into the inner apartments of the tower and were seen less and less until they disappeared altogether. The last reported sighting of Edward and Richard was in the summer of 1483. So what happened to them? Nobody knows, but the most popular theory is that they were murdered or more likely murdered on the orders of Richard III in his attempt to secure his hold on the crown. Maurice Keane suggests that the rebellion against Richard in 1483 was initially, quote, to rescue Edward V and his brother from the Tower before it was too late, but that when the Duke of Buckingham became involved, it shifted to support of Henry Tudor because Buckingham almost certainly knew that the princes in the Tower were dead. And Alison Weir proposes that the princes were killed on the 3rd of September, 1483. However, some have criticised her for, quote, arriving at a conclusion that depends more on her own imagination than on the uncertain evidence she has so misleadingly presented. Is there any evidence for murder? So the evidence is circumstantial, but the biggest piece of evidence people point to is the 1674 discovery of a wooden box containing two small skeletons under the staircase leading to the chapel of the White Tower. Now, these aren't the only child's bones found that people believe could belong to the princes, and I'll talk about those in a minute. Why do people think that they're the bones of the princes? There are a few reasons, and the first gets a little confusing. But the location the bones were discovered in partially matched the account given by Thomas More, although he also said they'd been moved to a better place, which doesn't match. So it's that bit's a little bit confusing. I'll leave it up to you to decide what's what. Other reasons include an anonymous report which claimed the skeletons were found with pieces of rag and velvet about them, which suggests the bodies belonged to aristocrats and the bodies were about the right size for the ages of the young princes. Have these bones ever been examined? Yes. In 1933, the bones were examined by the archivist of Westminster Abbey, Lawrence Tanner, anatomist Professor William Wright, and the president of the Dental Association, George Northcroft. 
Their examination, which included measuring certain bones and teeth, led them to conclude that the bones, quote, belonged to two children around the correct ages for the princes, with one being larger than the other. They also found the skeletons were incomplete, with many of the bones missing, including part of the smaller jawbone and all of the teeth from the larger one. And many of the bones had been broken accidentally by the workmen who discovered them. Furthermore, blood on the bigger skull suggests suffocation as the cause of death. Now, their examination has been criticised because it was conducted on the presumption that the bones were the princes, concentrated on searching for a cause of death and not to determine, say, whether the bones were male or female, which obviously would be a big piece of the puzzle. So they've been examined once, but have they been examined with modern methods? No. Despite requests by the Richard III Society and public petitions, it would take the Home Secretary, the Queen and the Church of England to agree to testing, and that's not likely to ever happen. But even if modern tests could take place and DNA proved beyond doubt that they were the bones of the two princes, it wouldn't prove who or what killed them. Slightly off-question topic, why the Queen? She'd have to give permission for any testing to be carried out on royal bodies. So even though they're not necessarily royal bodies, the potential means that she mm. can get involved. Yeah. Okay, so where are the bones now? Well, four years after they were discovered, Charles II ordered them to be interred in Westminster Abbey. Today, a monument designed by Christopher Wren marks their resting place. So if it turned out that they weren't the remains of the princes, who else could they be? Well, given the long history of the tower, the bones could belong to anyone, but the nature of the burial makes it clear that someone did not want these bones found, which is interesting because if they were the bones of an ordinary prisoner, why were they not buried in the normal manner? Furthermore, despite housing some of the most notorious prisoners in history, it was extremely rare for children to be imprisoned in the tower, and those that were housed there were high-status individuals that we know about. As such, the most likely candidate is Henry Pope, who was imprisoned in the Tower during the reign of Henry VIII. Henry was imprisoned alongside his grandmother, Margaret Pole, and after her execution in 1541, the king ordered 14-year-old Henry to be, quote, strictly kept in the Tower. The last record of Henry was in 1542, when a bill for his food was noted in the Tower accounts. And whilst we don't know what happened to him, some academics suggest he may have been starved to death. But of course, this would only account for one of the skeletons. Now, earlier you said that these weren't the only bones discovered that could belong to the princes. No, a short section in Archaeologica, volume 84, claims there was a sealed up room discovered in the royal apartments with the bones of two small children inside. But before we get too excited, no further attempts at finding the room have been successful. Another find came in 1789 when workmen carrying out repairs in St George's Chapel, Windsor, accidentally broke into the vault of Edward IV and Queen Elizabeth Woodville. Inside, they discovered what appeared to be a small adjoining vault, which contained two coffins inscribed the names of two of the couple's children who had died before their parents, George, first Duke of Bedford and Mary of York. Okay. So it makes sense that children would be buried with their parents. But why do people think they're the princes? Because two lead coffins clearly labelled as George Plantagenet and Mary Plantagenet were discovered elsewhere in the chapel during excavations for the Royal Tomb House for King George III, which took place between 1810 and 1813. 
They were then moved into the vault adjoining Edward IV. Other reasons suggested are that St George's Chapel is not a public graveyard, so it's not as if the bodies were buried there on a regular basis. And it's highly unlikely that there wouldn't be a record for the burials that did take place there. When you think about it, what better place to bury the princes than in a royal vault in the middle of a royal palace? I mean, it's not as if people break into royal vaults every day. Now, some believe that burying them with their father was proof that Richard III had had them killed and this was an act of remorse. I mean, that does sound quite probable. But Elizabeth Woodville lived until 1492, meaning she was still alive when the princes were killed. So whoever put them in the vault knew it would have to be opened again in order to bury her with their husband, meaning they risked discovery. We know that they've done one test on the other set. Mm-hmm. Have they done any test on this set? No, and again, permission would have to come from the Queen, so it's probably not going to happen. Okay, that's now two possibilities. Well, three if you include the sealed up room. Oh, that's true, three. So are there any other possible locations? There are a number of early writings that suggest the bodies were dropped into the sea or the River Thames by Sir Roger Brackenbury. Now, Brackenbury was the constable of the tower, meaning he was well-placed to carry out the murders. And given the proximity to the Tower of London to the Thames, it certainly seems possible. Of course, without the bodies or a full examination, we'll never know if any of these bones belong to the princes. As such, we can't even be sure they were murdered. So if they're not murdered, what happened to them? Well, that's what you're here to solve but I'm nothing if not helpful. So I have a couple of other theories for you to consider, starting with the idea that it was only Edward who was killed. Now, this theory is based on the idea that whilst in sanctuary, Elizabeth sent Richard away and replaced him with a random boy of the same age. Would that even have been possible? Well, Elizabeth was smart. She had the time. She had loyal nobles. And given the proximity to the Thames, the perfect way to smuggle him out of the city. Furthermore, Richard III was not a regular visitor to court, so, you know, what are the chance he'd even recognise his own nephew? Kids grow really quickly. Despite this, if the stand-in had any chance of succeeding, the boy would need to be educated and would have to be close enough to fool the Archbishop of Canterbury and Richard himself, who might not recognise his namesake, but was deeply suspicious of Elizabeth, so you have to wonder if he considered that. Also, it was a risk as when he was taken to the tower and reunited with his brother, Edward would have blown the whole thing by not knowing who this person was. Now, that's not the only theory for Richard's survival. There is another which suggests that Edward died of natural causes. So we're told by Francis Mancini that Edward was regularly visit, visited by a doctor who reported that Edward, quote, like a victim prepared for sacrifice sought remission for his sins by daily confession and penance because he believed death was facing him. Is there any proof that Richard survived? During the reign of Henry VII, two people claimed to be Richard the Duke of York. First was Lambert Simnel, who appeared in June 1487. Now, he initially claimed to be Richard before changing his story and claiming to be Edward Plantagenet, 17th Earl of Warwick. He was crowned at Dublin as King Edward VI, When Simnel arrived in Lancaster, he was accompanied by 2,000 German mercenaries, which were provided by Edward IV's sister, Margaret, Duchess of Burgundy, the Earl of Lincoln, and John de la Pole, who had a legitimate claim to the throne. 
Despite Henry parading the real Earl through the streets of London, the conspiracy gained traction, all of which led to the Battle of Stoke in June 1487. During the battle, Lincoln was killed and Simnel was captured. Let me guess, he was then executed? No, actually. Henry kept him prisoner for a while, but when he was sure Simnel was a harmless dupe, he sent him to work in the royal kitchens, where he made a modest career for himself before dying in 1534. Okay, you said there were two. I did. The second was Perkin Warbeck, the son of local official in Flanders. In 1491, he was in Cork, in Ireland, where he was, quote, dressed in his master's lavish silk clothes when excited townspeople there decided he must be of royal descent and persuaded him to impersonate Richard, the young Duke of York. With Irish support, he travelled to the continent to gather more allies, which he found in the Dowager Duchess Margaret of Burgundy, Maximilian I of Austria, King James IV of Scotland and many powerful English lords. After two failed invasions in 1495 and 1496, he landed in Cornwall in 1497, with rebel forces numbering around 6,000. However, when faced with Henry's troops, Warbeck fled to sanctuary at Bewley in Hampshire, where he was captured. Although at first treated leniently, he was hanged after trying to escape from the Tower of London. Okay, are these the only theories then? No, there are some who believe that rather than being sent overseas, the princes were actually sent to other parts of the country. One theory is the boys were sent up to Sheriff Hutton in the heart of Richard's power base. And this is based on an entry in the household accounts about clothing for the Lord Bastard. Those who disagree with this suggest actually in reference to Richard III's own openly acknowledged illegitimate son, John of Gloucester. Another theory is that there is a hidden message in the portrait of the family of Sir Thomas More. This one states that the man in the rear of the portrait, standing underneath the fleur de lis canopy, is actually Richard. However, it's actually Dr John Clement, a man, a man who was brought up in More's household. The theory comes from the fact that the portrait has the words John, the rightful heir, above the figure of Clement. Now, we don't know much about Clement, but the ages don't seem to match. The theory goes on to suggest that Edward V also survived and turned himself into Sir Edward Guilford. Now, another theory concerns the grave for Richard Plantagenet found in Eastwell St Mary's Church near Ashford in Kent. Until recently, it was thought to be the final resting place of Richard III. However, we now know he was under a car park in Leicester. So it begs the question, who is the Richard Plantagenet buried in Eastwell? Well, some believe it could be Richard, the Duke of York, who was smuggled to safety, lived out his life in anonymity, but buried under his real identity. So if we circle back to the murder, because we all know that's the part that I enjoy the most, who are the the suspects? There are several suspects, some of which are more likely than others. But we'll start with history's favourite suspect, Richard III. Richard was the youngest surviving son of Richard, the third Duke of York, and his Duchess, Cicely Neville. As such, we know little about his childhood, but throughout the Wars of the Roses, he was loyal to his brother Edward IV and was trusted by him to rule over the North and to act as Lord Protector for his young son after his death. So did he misjudge his brother or did history misjudge him? Well, that's a big question that you're going to need to answer. 
First, it is easy to see why the prince's being alive would pose a threat to Richard's hold on the crown. After all, rebels did not care for acts of parliament. So despite the passing of the titleist Regius in 1484, many considered the princes to be the legitimate heirs. And history is full of men fighting for a cause they believe to be true. Also, acts of parliament could easily be overturned by another act of parliament, depending on who was asserting influence. So, as dead men couldn't be king, it would certainly be smarter to kill them. But Edward and Richard were not the only possible heirs to the throne who could pose a risk to Richard. Aside from the princes, he had 17 other nieces and nephews who were alive at the beginning of his reign, including the Earl of Warwick, who might have been seen by some as having a greater claim to the throne than Richard himself. Yet, Richard educated, clothed and raised him along his, alongside his own children. So if Richard was concerned about holding on to the crown so he could pass it on to his son, why the change in how he treated his nephew? After all, if he could order the murder of two boys, why leave another one alive? Okay, I mean, that wouldn't really make sense. It doesn't rule him out and the boys still disappeared. No, it doesn't. And you're right. And there is a theory that Richard was behind their disappearance, but he didn't kill them. Rather, he sent them to safety. Now, some believe he sent them abroad to his sister, the Duchess of Burgundy. Others believe that as Richard had numerous allies and properties throughout the north, he used those to hide and care for the boys. Some suggest his appointment of John de la Pole, another of his nephews, to run the Council of the North, proves that that's what he'd done. So you're saying that the evidence says he didn't do it? No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making no judgments here. I mean, maybe. The issue is, when rumours began to spread about the death of the princes in late 1483, Richard never attempted to prove that they were still alive, which he could easily have done by having them seen in public. Nor did he open an investigation into what had happened, which kind of seems odd if he was innocent. So he did do it? Maybe. Richard didn't need to kill them to keep the crown. They'd been declared illegitimate, so their deaths didn't offer any further benefit other than removing a potential threat that might come years down the line. Also, if he killed them, why was Warwick treated so kindly? And why did Elizabeth Woodville, who was deeply distrusting of Richard, release her daughters into his care in 1484? And why did she never accuse him of their deaths? Well, I mean, that's not very helpful. <laughs> Don't fret. Even modern historians are divided on Richard's guilt. And we, are, we must remember that the Tudor propaganda machine did an amazing job on Richard III and has completely muddied the waters. And there are those that believe the princes were still alive in 1485 when Henry Tudor took the throne. Okay, tell us about Henry Tudor. Henry was the son of Edmund Tudor, Earl of Richmond and Margaret Beaufort. His father died three months before his birth, and as his mother was just 14 when he was born, Henry was raised by Jasper Tudor, Earl of Pembroke. After the decisive Yorkist victory at the Battle of Tewkesbury in May 1471, Jasper took Henry to Brittany, where it seemed as if he may spend the rest of his life in exile. That was until Richard III usurped the crown and divided the Yorkist party. After a failed attempt to support the rebellion, the rebellion of Henry Stafford, Duke of Buckingham, Henry stirred up support by promising to marry Elizabeth of York, the eldest daughter of Edward IV. And the coalition of Yorkists and Lancasterians continued helped by French support. 
1485, Henry landed at Milford Haven in Wales and advanced towards London, where he defeated and killed Richard at the Battle of Bosworth on the 22nd of August 1485, thus, quote, claiming the throne by just title of inheritance and by the judgment of God in battle. Henry was crowned on the 30th of October and secured parliamentary recognition of, of his title in early November. He married Elizabeth of York on the 18th of January 1486 and set about having Titus Regius, the act which made the princes illegitimate, repealed. Okay, earlier you said it was going to be an important act, but why is it significant? Well, on the face of it, Henry was shoring up power. After all, if the princes were illegitimate, Elizabeth was illegitimate. As his claim to the throne was weak, he needed Elizabeth's royal pedigree to bolster it but with it repealed Edward and Richard would now be the rightful heirs according to parliament so if they weren't dead that's a big risk to take and Henry doesn't seem the kind of person to take those kinds of risks as such many believe him to be the only other plausible suspect next to Richard I mean that's quite a big motive did he ever say that they were dead no, nor did he search for them or try to find their killer. Instead, he allowed the rumour that Richard had had them murdered to just grow. Would he have had chance to murder them? He was out of the country between the prince's disappearance and August 1485. Thus, his only opportunity to murder them would have been after he had claimed the throne in 1485. Now, it's suggested that he had them murdered between the 16th of June and the 16th of July 1486. Now, remember those dates for later, as they'll be important. And it was after these dates that the story about Richard killing them picked up pace. Furthermore, there were rumours that Elizabeth Woodville knew the story was false. And so Henry had her silenced by confiscating all of her lands and possessions and having her confined in Bermondsey Abbey in February 1487. Although Arlene Oakland suggests that her retirement to the Abbey was actually her own decision. I mean, he had a lot to lose by having them still alive, so it makes sense. Yeah, if he didn't know they were dead, it was a big risk to take. And there are many examples from history of new leaders coming in and removing any that pose a threat to them. So the only way Henry could know for sure the boys were dead is if his wife or mother-in-law told him or he ordered them killed himself. Of course, there's one other person who may have pushed Henry to have the princes killed if they were, in fact, still alive. And that was his mother, Margaret Beaufort. Okay, explain that one then. A more recent theory is that Margaret was behind the murders of the princes. She was no doubt part of the reason Henry was successful. She helped him arrange his match with Elizabeth of York. She sent him money while he was in exile, organised part of the 1483 rebellion. But would she have murdered two young boys for him? Well... That's the theory that's gained traction thanks to Philippa Gregory and her BBC documentary series, The Real White Queen and Her Rivals. However, it's openly denounced as, quote, impossible, implausible nonsense by others. Ah, uh, when they underestimate the women. But what would she have had to gain by killing them? Well, her son had been in exile since 1471, and she had been in the process of negotiating his return to England with Edward IV, only those negotiations ended with Edward's death. With the princess out of the way, it would help clear the path for his return and position him to take the throne, especially with his marriage to Elizabeth of York. 
which she had been secretly negotiating with Elizabeth Woodville. How or would she have even been able to pull it off? She was certainly well connected and no one is saying she did the deed herself. Although she had lost some property after the Fell Rebellion, she was still vastly wealthy and along with her husband, Thomas Lord Stanley, were at the centre of government. I mean, both played active roles in Richard and Anne's coronation in 1483. Okay, so she's got means and motives, but the boys were in the Tower of London, so how would she have got to them? It isn't like they were locked in a deep, dark dungeon. Plus, the tower wasn't the locked-up fortress we think of today. It was a functioning royal palace, which would mean it was bustling. It's where the royal treasury was housed, council meetings were taking place, and military provisions were stockpiled. As such, there would have been a a steady stream of people in and out. I mean, I imagine that no one could just walk in and commit a murder and then leave, though. No, but Margaret and Lord Stanley had status, so they could send someone in on their orders or maybe bribe a guard or two, or maybe it was not her plan, rather she was acting on her husband's behalf. As Constable of England, he would have had access and was later instrumental in Henry's victory over Richard III. Did Richard ever accuse Margaret or Stanley of killing the boys? No, and he would have known pretty quickly had she had them killed. Plus, it would have been, I mean, it would have been brilliant for him. Two of his greatest rivals dead and not a drop of blood on his hands. So she's kind of in the clear. Maybe. We know she influenced Henry. So if she discovered the prince was still alive, it's possible she nudged him into changing that. After all, as king, he would have had to be the one who gave the order. Of course, there's no actual proof of any of this. Another possible suspect to consider is Henry Stafford, the second Duke of Buckingham. Okay, tell us some more about him. Henry Stafford, the second Duke of Buckingham, was born in 1454. 1460, he succeeded his grandfather as Duke of Buckingham, and six years later, he was married to Catherine Woodville. After Edward's death, he helped Richard take the throne from Edward V. Now, there are a few possible theories that connect Henry to the murder of the princes. First, Michael Bennett suggests that some of Richard's prominent supporters, including Buckingham and James Tyrell, who we'll talk about in a minute, murdered the princes on their own initiative without telling Richard or waiting for his orders. To support this theory, he claims that, quote, after the king's departure, Buckingham was in effective command of the capital. And it is known that when the two men met a month later, there was an unholy row between them. But why would Richard just say that's what happened? I mean, that's a good point. But Jeremy Potter suggests that Richard would have kept silent because... He believed that nobody would believe he was not party to the crime. Could Buckingham have carried out, or at least ordered the murder, without Richard knowing about it? Possibly. It's debated whether he would have been able to gain access to the princes, who were being guarded by those loyal to Richard. However, as Constable of England, he might have been exempt from that ruling. This would mean he would have needed Richard's approval, and that leads into the next theory, that he encouraged Richard to have them killed so they didn't pose a threat to him down the line. So it's possible that he worked with Richard to have the boys killed? If they were working together, their alliance was short-lived, as just two months later, he was plotting with the Lancastrians to overthrow Richard and put Henry Tudor, Earl of Richmond, on the throne. Now, Alison Weir suggests that one of the reasons for his change of heart is that he discovered that Richard had had the princes murdered and was, quote, shocked by it. 
I mean, that's a lot of theories to go through. Are these the only ones? No, there's one more. There's some suggestion that he wanted the throne for himself. And this is the plot for Sharon Penman's historical novel, The Sun in Splendour. This theory goes that he was responsible for the murder of the princes to eliminate two claimants to the throne and then blame Richard for the crime. Of course, if he did kill them, it would have had to have been before November 1483 when he was executed by Richard. Okay, who's next in line on the possible suspects? Next, we're looking at Sir James Tyrell who, according to Sir Thomas More and Polydor Virgil, was the person who actually killed the princes. Why do they think that? Because he confessed to it in 1502, just prior to his execution. Okay, I feel like you probably would have mentioned this earlier. So who was he? James Harrell fought on the Yorkist side at the Battle of Tewkesbury, where he was knighted by Edward IV on the 4th of May, 1471. A few months later, he entered the service of Richard III, who was then Duke of Gloucester. Once Richard became king, he appointed Tyrell as High Sheriff of Cornwall in 1484. Tyrell was in France in 1485 and so played no part in the Battle of Bosworth Field. But when he returned to England the following year, he was pardoned by King Henry VII on the 16th of June and again on the 16th of July. Remember those dates from earlier? and Henry reappointed him as the governor of Guineas. His good relationship with Henry ended in 1501, when he lent support to Edmund de la Pole, the third Duke of Suffolk, who was at that point the leading Yorkist claimant to the English throne. Henry had Tyrell arrested, charged with treason, and executed on the 6th of May. So where did the confession come into this? Well, between 1513 and 1519, Sir Thomas More was writing his book, The History of King Richard III, in which he wrote, quote, that during his examination, Tyrell confessed to the murders of King Edward V of England and his brother, Richard of Shrewsbury, Duke of York, on the orders of Richard III and implicated John Dighton as a perpetrator who, when questioned, cooperated Tyrell's account. However, Moore was unable to say where the bodies were buried, saying they were initially buried under the stairs, but were subsequently moved for a more dignified burial, although he didn't say where. So I guess we do actually know who killed the princes then. Well, before we get too excited, there are some issues. Firstly, despite other accounts repeating Moore's claim, there are no copies of the original confession. Secondly, if, and I stress if, the confession existed, was it extracted under torture? If so, is it believable? We know people say some crazy things under torture. Thirdly, Moore claims the murders took place on the 15th of August, but Tyrell was almost certainly still in York at the time. Now, Thomas Moore was a fantastic storyteller, and some question why, if his aim was to tarnish Richard's name, he did not simply invent a burial place for the princes. And the biggest issue many have with Moore's work is that he left it unfinished, and it was later finished after his death by his son-in-law. Why didn't he finish the book? Well, that's something we'll never know for certain, but a couple of theories have been put forward. First, some suggest that whilst the book didn't exactly paint Richard in a good light, it didn't, quote, depict Henry Tudor as a knight in shining armour either. So Moore left it unpublished to avoid political backlash. I mean, we all know the Tudors were a little sensitive about these kind of things. A second suggestion is that Moore had grown disillusioned with the, quote, 
fictions in his own work and simply decided to shelve it. Lastly, there would have been some alive who remembered the events regarding Richard's seizing of the throne and perhaps he was concerned that he could be disproved. I mean, that does sound quite plausible. So is that it for the Terrell case? No, Clements Markham suggests that Moore's account was actually written by Archbishop Morton and that it was Henry VII, not Richard, who had Tyrell murder the princes, and that the murders took place between the 16th of June and the 16th of July, 1486, which, as I mentioned earlier, were the dates Henry pardoned Tyrell. There's also this story in the Tyrell family that Tyrell actually removed the boys from the Tower of London and hid them away, and and this accounts for the unidentified children in Richard's financial records from Sheriff Hutton. Is there anyone else on this list? Oh, yeah. Next is John Howard, the first Duke of Norfolk, who was born about 1425. He was the son of Sir Robert Howard of Tendring and Margaret de Mowbray. As such, as such, he was a descendant of English royalty through both sides of his family. He was a supporter of House York during the Wars of the Roses and was knighted by King Edward IV at the Battle of Telton on the 29th of March, 1461. The same year, he was appointed Constable of Norwich and Colchester Castles and became part of the royal household as one of the king's carvers. In April 1483, he bore the royal banner at the funeral of King Edward IV and supported Richard III's accession to the throne and such was appointed Lord High Steward. On the 28th of June 1483, he was created Duke of Norfolk, Earl Marshal and Lord Admiral of all England, Ireland and Aquitaine. Okay, so why is he a suspect? Well, he's on the suspect list because, according to Alison Weir, he was given custody of the Tower of London under less than regular circumstances on the night the princes are supposed to have disappeared. Okay, I mean, that gives him access, but did he have a reason to kill them? Well, money is suggested as his motivation. The Howards had previously seen their claim to the Dukedom of Norfolk dismissed in favour of the younger of the princes, Richard. Richard's forfeiture of lands and rights and disappearance paved the way for the Howards to receive the Duke of Norfolk title, which the family still holds today. John Howard was killed at the Battle of Bosworth Field on the 22nd of August, 1485. Now, I have one more suspect for you, and I would admit before we start, this one is a little bit unlikely, and that is Jane Shaw. Okay, who was she? Firstly, she was actually named Elizabeth Lambert. The name Jane was given to her 50 years after her death by playwright Thomas Hayward in his play Edward IV. Elizabeth, or Jane, was one of the many mistresses of King Edward IV, and their relationship lasted until his death in 1483. As mistress, she had a large amount of influence over the king, but it's said that rather than use it for her own advancement, she would, quote, bring those out of favour before the king to help them gain pardons. Edward wasn't her only attachment. She had affairs with his stepson, Thomas Gray, and William Hastings, first baron of Hastings. She was instrumental in bringing about the alliance between Hastings and the Woodvilles, which was formed while Richard, Duke of Gloucester, was protector, but before he took the throne as King Richard III. As such, she was charged with conspiracy and accused of carrying messages between, between Hastings and Edward IV's widow, Elizabeth Woodville. As punishment, she was made to do public penance at St Paul's Cross for her promiscuous behaviour and then sent to Ludgate Prison, 
Whilst there, Thomas Lynham, the King's Solicitor General, became interested in her and the two married and had one daughter. Okay, she sounds really interesting, but why would she want to murder the boys? Exactly. And while she is suggested as a suspect, no one seems to have a solid reason or theory as to why she murdered them or how she murdered them. So to to wrap it up, the last uh, reported sighting of Edward and Richard was in the summer of 1483. Were they smuggled to safety in either Brittany or northern England? Did Edward die of natural causes? It wasn't unusual for children to die in that period. If so, why was it kept a secret and what happened to his body? Were they murdered and their bodies hidden under the stairs or put into a vault with their father as an act of remorse? If they were murdered, who gave the order? Richard, Henry, Buckingham, somebody else? These are just some of the questions that have intrigued historians, crime buffs and armchair detectives for hundreds of years. So what do you think happened to the princes? I don't know, it's really difficult because you've got to cut through so much like propaganda. I think sometimes that's probably the worst thing. I mean, it would make sense if Richard was out to get the throne, he needed to have the two people that could be the biggest threat to him gotten rid of. But he kind of already did that when he called them illegitimate. I mean, yes, we all know that even if you called it illegitimate, people can still rally behind you and cause a problem. But you could have just kept them in the tower. You didn't really need to kill them. Kind of like a bonus if one of them died by natural causes. But again, then why would you hide the body and not be like, oh, look, my illegitimate nephew has died. Well, let's have a big funeral and make me look like the better person. Kind of like seems like an opportunity for a good PR stunt. But then at the same time, you look at Henry VII and everything that was going on at that time with him trying to gain power. I mean, his mum was trying to broker a deal that would unite two houses together to make him extremely legitimate, stop fighting, and also put her own, like, Margaret Beaufort's son on the throne, because that's what she seemed to think he was destined for. And I kind of wouldn't put it past her to do scheming to that extent. I mean, people always underestimate women, but she'd already done enough to get her son to that point. And she was clearly heavily involved and she was heavily involved in his life after he got the throne. She even like had um, influence over like Henry VIII and Henry's brother, Arthur, before, you know, they took the throne. So she was heavily involved in their lives. So I don't think you can kind of rule her out because she seems to, she and Henry VII seem to have got the most to gain out of the princess disappearing, personally, I would think. So who's your number one? If you were a police officer, who, who would you be slapping the cuffs on? I don't know. It's either Henry VII or Henry VII's mum. I feel like maybe Ooh. she would push it a bit more and maybe make someone else and do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not suggesting she wandered into the tower and smothered them yeah. or poisoned them or whatever yeah. herself. Or heavily suggested to either her husband or her son that maybe getting rid of them was a good idea. Because she seems to be the kind of person that thought ahead. Because, I mean, obviously she wanted one of the Plantagenet line. And that was Elizabeth, who she had married to her son. Get rid of the two brothers that would cause problem if they ever turned up. And then she'd kind of have the one legitimate one that was important, but within her own family. 
it would make sense to me that that would be like the steps that you would take. So you don't believe that they could have been smuggled to safety then? I just think that would cause more problems. So you think about like when you have other like people like look at like Henry VII and Henry VIII, what they did to people that had to be in line to the throne. They had them thrown in the tower. They didn't want them anywhere near them. I think getting rid of the boys would have been easier than smuggling them off for them to possibly come back at some point and cause a problem. It's a nice thought that they were smuggled after safety, but I just don't think that that happened. This idea that Richard's actually buried in a church in Kent, quite bizarre to me. Why would you be buried under your own name if you've spent your whole life? I suppose once you're dead, they can't do anything to hurt you. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems a bit too fairy tale-ish. I don't think they would have smuggled them. That would have taken a lot of effort to smuggle them and then continue to hide them and to control them enough to be like, you're never going to say that you are who you are. Whereas them dying or being killed, much easier. But we want to know what you think. So let us know in the comments. Let us know on social media or via the contact us tab on Patreon or our website. Coming next month, we have another solving history for you. And this time we're going to attempt to solve the theft from the Isabella Gardner Museum in Boston. In the coming months, we have the disappearance of Amelia Earhart, the curses of Tutankhamun's tomb, the back the Black Dahlia murders and and the gunpowder plot. So whilst this is going to be a patron exclusive podcast, we here at Cyber Sheet are nothing if not generous. So we're going to release the first one as a general release podcast to give you a taster. Another way we intend to court your favour is through our giveaway, which you should have seen on social media. Today we popped all the names into a random generator and it spat out the name Tudor Ghost Mammy as our giveaway winner who chose to receive an Amazon voucher. So hopefully she has brought herself something nice for the weekend. So thank you for supporting us on Patreon. We hope you enjoy this podcast. As always, take care of yourselves and each other.